I do want to say welcome to all the first-time visitors. I'm so glad that all of you are here, and thank you for coming this morning uh, and worshiping with us and being with us. And I want to say a couple things right off the bat. I'll take musicians that are desperate and hungry for the Lord before I'll take performance any day of the week. Now, though I want skill, and though I want our musicians and our singers to be able to play well and harmonize and sing well, what I really want is musicians and worshipers that are desperate for the Lord. And every one of the musicians that were on this stage today are worshipers. They love Jesus. And though they may not be the best and the most skilled and the most perfect, like I said, I'll trade that any day of the week for a performance, three songs, four songs, five minutes, 18 minutes, 20 minutes, just like the CD. And these musicians are hungry and desperate for the Lord. And I love the fact that I can walk in here and partner up together with them for that kind of worship. And I know for some of you, that's pretty intense worship. There are not a lot of churches that worship like we do. I'm not saying we're the only one. I'm just telling you to have that kind of desperate cry roaring out of the people where a voice and a sound is being released in our community and being heard the way that it was heard today and released today to me is supernatural. And that's what I love and that's what I want. And sadly, I've been a part of too many performance-driven, performance-based worship teams. I've also been around a lot of musicians that have a lot of pride, and it really is about them and their performance and their skill and being seen. Don't take it for granted. I know it may be new for some of you, and I know for some of you it may be a little bit uncomfortable. What God wants is authenticity. God wants genuine faith. God wants people that are, will release a desperate cry that aren't worried about what anybody else thinks or says. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't care about you. It doesn't mean that we wanna create an environment that is so weird and so freaky that doesn't make any sense. But when people are desperate and they cry out from what's inside of them, God honors that. I measure success two ways. I don't measure success based on nickels and noses, meaning how many people are here and how much money comes in. I measure success first by is the life-giving presence of God here. And then second our lives being transformed is their fruit. Now, I'm just gonna let you guys know that I pray a little sneaky prayer over each of you. It's not so sneaky, but I'm gonna tell it to you. If you make the decision to be a part of this church and to partner together with what God has shown me and our family and this vision here at Rock City Church, whenever you make that choice, I pray, my prayer for you is this that you would be so lit on fire and that the Lord would just get you. And what I mean by get you is I pray that you'd have dreams, visions, and hunger, supernatural hunger, and that does happen. There are so many lives here that have been healed and transformed without me ever laying a hand on them or having coffee with them. Because when you join and partner together with with a contagious fire and a movement, something happens, and I pray that by a transference of spiritual osmosis into your heart, that you would get so hungry and thirsty for more of what the Lord has in store. That's what success is to me. I measure success, thank you. I measure success based on the spiritual fervency and hunger that happens in your life. And I pray for that. I can't pray for every prayer request that happens here. There are prayer request cards in the seat pocket in front of you. You can go onto our website and submit prayer requests. And those prayer requests go to about 30 different intercessors that will pray for you. These are prayer warriors that will cover your prayers. You can submit prayers. But I don't personally have time to read through all those. Sometimes I do. But more often than not, I don't. I have coffee shops. I have children. I'm full-time dad. I'm full-time business owner. And I'm answering a call. This is not a job for me. This is a vocation, not a career. I'm not in this because of a career. If I want a career, I'll just focus on the coffee shops. But I'm here because God has called me. And you've got to answer the call when he calls you as well. Because it's not about position, title, money, promotion. It's about being a servant. And it's about saying yes to that call. So with all of those things that are going on in my life, my focus and my attention is on empowering and delegating out to other people. I do not run this church the way I run my coffee shops. Now, I've read all the best John Maxwell books. I have a business degree from Oral Roberts University. I believe that I run my businesses very well. They're successful. But you do not run a church the way you do a business. You know why? 
because church is family. Now, I might have some things I need to talk about my wife with when we go on date night, but I don't make out a five-point agenda and say, let's just get right down to business, honey. <laughs> I don't run my kids the way I run a business. And the way I do my family is life-giving and it's unity and it's love. And I don't always do it perfect, but I don't run it like a business. And church cannot be run institutionalized. It has to be a life-giving force that's a family. Because, and I've said this so many times, the father is looking for a family. Jesus said this. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't have a place to rest his head. He wasn't talking about being homeless or not having money. He was talking about the fact that he was looking for a body to put his lordship and his headship on. Jesus wants to rest his head upon your life. Jesus wants to be the Lord and the leader and the lover of your life. And he wants to be that over our family and over our church, right? And so God's looking for a family. This isn't about coming to church to do our Sunday morning duty. This is about us coming together to learn, grow, be trained, be equipped, be challenged, be inspired, hopefully. I hope to inspire you today to help you overcome difficult situations that went, so that when you walk out these doors, you'll cultivate that fire in your life every day of the week. It has to happen. It has to happen. You know, when I come into worship on Sunday morning, I've already been spending a couple hours at one of my spots. Now the Lord is into spots. All throughout the Old Testament, the patriarchs would have supernatural encounters with God and set up an altar to never forget what God had done in that place. And when the cloud moved, you moved. The way you determine the church that you go to is the cloud and the presence of God there. Don't determine it based on your traditional theological thinking. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't have sound doctrine. But what you need is the cloud of God's presence. And what I'm most grateful for here more than anything is that God keeps showing up. He keeps showing up. And I never want to take that for granted. I want a life-giving, presence-driven church. Don't you? And so when I go and spend time with the Lord... Every single time I go to spend time with him, he's there. Because, and I'm not gonna teach on this, but I would encourage you to go read Matthew chapter six. And in particular, verse six, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is already there in the secret place. It's a little nugget that many people overlook and don't realize that God is waiting for you to come and spend time with him. And every time that I get out of that hidden secret place, every time that I neglect it for a period of time, I find myself spinning out mentally and believing lies and my faith diminishes. Because in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you're not hearing by the word of God, when you don't have God's voice and his written word ruling and reigning in your heart, your faith will diminish and you'll get sideways spiritually and mentally. And I, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I've found myself just believing lies and struggling and, and feeling so, so either defeated or defenseless, and God will summons, summon me to be with him, and the minute I get to my spot, see, I don't have an office. Now, at some point, I'm going to need to have an office because I can't really meet with people in general in privacy but I don't really care about an office right now. The space needs to be used for other things because my office is sitting with the Lord by the water and the clouds and the birds and being outside. That's where I like to go to encounter him. And every single time I go, he's there. Every time. Now, that doesn't mean every time I go, I've got goosebumps and I'm crying my eyes out and I've got this supernatural mountaintop experience. I wish that was the case. There are times that I go to spend time with the Lord and I feel like, man, where are you? I don't really feel you right now. I'm not really feeling it, whatever it is. But I've learned to not be moved by how I feel. Right. And I'm gonna show you this. Too many people are moved by what they see and not by faith. And God calls us to live our lives by faith. Right. He calls us to fully submit to the spirit of the living God and the only way you're gonna have lordship and be spirit led and be quickened and strengthened to become what God's called you to become is if you spend time with him. And so last year, I had the strangest thing happen. I started preaching some messages right at this time that I didn't really understand why I was preaching them. So I went to a conference, I'm gonna be preaching at a conference in West Virginia uh, in a week and a half with Pastor David and Prophet Kevin Leal. 
And I went to this conference last year, and the theme of the conference was developing leaders to stay the course and not be afraid to be bivocational where they're not just dependent upon the church for a paycheck. And so I went, that was just some of the titles. There was more, trust me. And so I go to the conference and I start teaching about a topic that I'd never taught about. And I was teaching on Psalm 5110, being created and having a, a renewed spirit, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. I started talking about what it means to be cut down, that if you're gonna be created and promoted, first God decreases you. I preached this last year, not even knowing what was about to happen to me. I was actually preaching my own life message in advance last year. And then I preached out of John 15. In the Bible, in John 15, 16, right around there, it says, Jesus says, I, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. If you look up the word appoint, it means to spread you out or to vex you and to lean down and breathe life into you so that you can learn who he is through lordship, just like he did in the garden. And I started talking about being laid out because in the Strong's Concordance, Hebrews, the Hebrew version, 3333, or 333, I don't remember now, is to be laid out. And I learned that God was laying me out and that before God could ever promote you, you've got to overcome various trials and hardships and difficulties so that your faith can be refined and so that he can create you and dispatch you. And little did I know, in August, my wife and I would lose a child, one of the hardest things anybody could ever have to go through. We lost a 32-week-year-old child. And then I got sick with a pneumonia in December. And when I went into the hospital for the third time, three times I went in. When I went in for the third time, they admitted me and they took me to the third floor into room 313. They slapped on a pressure band around, a blood pressure band around my arm that was number 333. And I said, okay, Lord, Obviously, you're trying to tell me something, so I'm gonna start looking for you in the midst of this situation. Now, if you're going through a crisis or a hardship right now, whether it's with your health, your marriage, or whatever, financially, whatever it is that you might be facing, overcoming addictions, questions, struggles, whatever it is, one of the things I wanna tell you is always look for Jesus in the midst of it. Because the lie of the devil is to tell you that Jesus has walked away from you. He doesn't care. You made your own bed, now lie in it. That is not biblical and that is not scriptural. Yeah. Here's another lie. You got yourself into this. You deserve what you're getting. See, God helps those that can't help themselves and he's, a, he's full of abundant mercy, full of abundant mercy. And so I start looking for the Lord and I'm like, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you in the midst of this and I'm gonna look for you. I got quick, I got healthy really, really fast overnight and the next day, a nurse comes in and she hears worship music playing in my room. She says to me, she says, are you a Christian? I said, I sure am. I just really love Jesus. Are you? She goes, oh yeah. And you know, we start talking a little bit and she starts telling me how her and her husband were part of a motorcycle uh, ministry in the past. I said, oh really? I said, I am the president of the tribe of Judah motorcycle ministry here in Cor Corpus Christi. Some of you don't know that. I ride a Harley and I fly colors and it's a ministry that reaches outlaw bikers. It's not an overly public good boy riding club. So I don't overly flaunt it. We reach the darkest of the darkest people in our city that you'll never know, some of the most hurting people. And so she's like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. We were a part of that club in the past. And we start talking and then she had to leave. And when she came back, I had a word for her. I start praying and prophesying over her. Presence of God comes into the room, we're crying. We're crying in the room, and just as I'm about to say amen, I get a phone call that my mom passed away. And it was brutal. It was so hard. And I wept, and I cried, and I faced such a difficult time, and I shared all of those experiences with our leaders here at the church, and Mary Fecht, Doug and Mary, they were, are they here now? They were here last service. Oh, in the back, there you are. They lead our prayer and intercession, stand up guys so everybody know you. They lead our prayer and intercession ministry. Elders been with me over 10 years. 
thank you. Mary sends me a text. Now, Mary knows how my kind of language. She knows my kind of language. Mary sends me a text message of the Strong's Concordance. Now, those, for those of you that don't know what the Strong's Concordance is, it's, it's basically a concordance that shows you the original meanings of the words in the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. You can get them as an app on your phone. I recommend the Blue Letter Bible, okay? And so she sends me the Strong Concordance number for 313, which was the room I was in, okay? And it's the word anaganao. And this word means to be born again. This word means to become productive again. This word means to be renewed again. And it also has its roots in being fathered. Because when you're born again, you know, there's so many definitions about being born again, many of which are accurate and right. But my favorite definition of being born again is I have a new daddy. I'm now a son and I have a father. It means to be fathered. It means to now, when you were an orphan, to no longer live like an orphan, but to live like a son. And sadly, we have too many Christians living like orphans. Here's how orphans live out. Fear, worry, anxiety, depression, doubt, disbelief, lack of faith, lack of confidence. These, this is a subtle orphan spirit that was spoken into everybody. All of us have to overcome the orphan spirit. Everybody was orphaned. Everybody has to give their life to Jesus Christ. But when you get born again, what happens is, is you get restored to God's original intent of what God always planned for you. So when you first give your life to Jesus, you actually find out who you were always meant to be. Now, some people go through an identity crisis. The reason for that is your identity is wrapped up in who you used to be, clubbing, partying, smoking, drinking, Your identity may have been wrapped up in all these old paradigms. Now the Lord transforms you and you have to discover who you are as a son. It took me years and years and years to figure out sonship and identity because the churches I was going to when I first gave my life to the Lord were not teaching me about sonship and identity. It was more works-based and works-driven rather than who I was in Christ and who he is. And so you've gotta be born again to understand those things. And she sends me this thing, 313, and I said, okay, Lord, I believe I'm gonna rise again. I believe that there's new life that's gonna come out of me through all of the things that I've been through, and I trust you. Now, I didn't have a 313 experience again until last night. Now, I wrote a whole nother message for today on healing, and it was from Luke chapter five, and I'll I'll probably preach it at some point. And it was where Jesus, one of the first early miracles of Jesus, he was moved by compassion to heal a leper. And he, that leper was an outcast of society because in those days, if you had leprosy, the biblical command was that you couldn't be a part of the community because it was contagious. And oftentimes, it was a direct correlation to somebody's sin in those days. But Jesus wasn't afraid to reach out and touch somebody to touch the leper because he was moved more by compassion than somebody's sinfulness. And the Lord is always moved by compassion for you. And that was gonna really be what my message was. But the Lord began to speak to me last night when I woke up right in the middle of the night, first time since December, 313. Now, for those of you that are visiting and even those of you that have been here, you know I've been battling some respiratory challenges this year. And we're trying to get to the bottom of it. And I'm contending for the walls to come down in my own life, okay? And I'm believing for God's supernatural divine healing to happen in my life. And I'm saying, Lord, you can start with me. Now you say, Lord, you can start with me because we need it to start with us. And I'm believing for God's healing power because right after Jesus heals the leper, Jesus is in a house with all the Pharisees and Sadducees and people thronged around him. And it says the power of God was present to heal. And so I'm believing for God's power to come and be present to start releasing healing in this place. But when God woke me up at 3:13, he said, I got another message for you today. I got another word for you this morning. He said, I'm gonna release new life and I wanna help people that are in this room that are going through some extremely difficult situations of fear, uncertainty, questions, doubt, spinning out in your mind, not understanding what God's doing and living a lackluster faith. God says, I wanna correct that and I wanna fix that. And I said, okay, Lord, Let's get down to it. 
So we're going to start today with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Now, let me tell you about the book of Peter. The book of Peter, more than any other book in the New Testament, heavily deals with suffering and overcoming it with hope. If you're going through a difficult time and really struggling with things in your life, I want to encourage you to read this book, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now leave that up there. The word begotten us in the NIV and the English Standard Version is the word born again. To be born again means to be made productive again, to be made new again, to be brought back to the original intent. This is 313. And so God was showing me that he was gonna be making me new again for what he wants to do. Anytime you see in the New Testament being made new, it's the understanding and mindset of past, present, and future tense, okay? It's that God makes you a new creation when you first get born again, he's making you new today, and he will make you new tomorrow. And so the Lord is saying, I want to beget you. I want you to be born again. I want to bring you back to my original plan and my original intent that I have for your life. And it's according to his abundant mercy. God has abundant mercy on people's lives. His compassion always overrides sinfulness. Remember that. He desires mercy more than he desires. Mercy triumphs over judgment, the Bible says. Okay? And so... He's full of abundant mercy, and he begets us to himself with what kind of hope? A dead hope? A living hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking. One of the words I want to talk to you about this morning is laissez-faire. You know what laissez-faire is? Laissez-faire is I have no control of the situations and the circumstances that are going to happen in my life. And laissez-faire is not in the Bible. Laissez-faire means whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and I have no control. And if that's the case, then why would I pray? If that's the case, then why would I have faith? So many of us are living in captive fear to death, sickness, disease, always captivated by worry of our finances, relationships, and struggles that could happen that more often don't happen. And we've got this mindset that I can't do anything about it. And that it's just gonna, that whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. And I don't believe that. And I'm gonna show it to you here in the scripture in a minute. And I know some of you are facing difficult trials, but the scripture's gonna show you that if you respond right to the difficult trial, your faith will actually become stronger. And that's what would happen with me and my wife is that through the loss and through the hardship and through the struggle, supernatural life came out of it based on how we chose to respond. And so she she and I chose to respond from day one by looking for Jesus. So when we found out we had lost our baby while she was still pregnant and the baby was inside of her, we made the decision to look for Jesus immediately. And when we went into the delivery room, I opened up the blinds, I put up my Bluetooth player and I started worshiping the Lord and the presence of God came. She got to go on the radio KBNJ last a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, and tell the story of how God's grace came, that he was faithful to carry us through that. Diff- we wept and we cried and we still weep and we cry. Yeah. But, but our faith has become more authentic. Our faith has become more genuine because we knew that God was writing a story in the midst of it. The challenge is so many of you are so consumed by the immediacy of your life. What's happening to you right now and all you can see right in front of you. And the Bible makes it clear that you've got to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. You've got to, got to. And so we have a living hope. You know why our hope is alive? Our hope is dynamic expectation, not wishful thinking. This isn't, I hope so. This isn't, I know so, because God's faithful and I believe his word. And so we have a living hope because read the rest of scripture. Jesus is alive. And we don't talk about it just on resurrection Sunday. Jesus forever lives to make intercession on behalf of the saints, and he's our high priest that we can go to for help in the time of need. And guess how often I need help? All the time. I always need help. 
Last week, if you didn't hear last week's message, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it on the podcast or SoundCloud. But I had this dream, and in this dream, I let out a roar from inside of me, and I knew it was arcing to heaven, and that my prayer, I'm sorry, my cry was reaching the throne room of God. And I let it out with every, I mean, a shout that was so roaring inside of me. And I don't want those to just be dreams. I want them to be reality in the natural. So God will often show me in a dream that I'll act out in the natural. This isn't weird. A third of the Bible came through dreams and visions. God knows I need those dreams. You're gonna spend a third of your life sleeping. Why wouldn't you get dreams in the night? Pay attention to them. Listen to them. The dream, my wife dreams about twice as much as I do. It's crazy. You think I would dream more? She's nonstop all the time dreaming. Journals and writing and all these crazy, incredible encounters. And now people are having dreams about us and people are having dreams with us in them. Yeah. It's just crazy what's happening. And so Jesus lives. We have a living hope. It's not a dead hope, guys. Yes. Next verse. Let me just tell you something. First of all, thank you all for listening to me. I'm really happy you're here. I, in case I get a little intense. I wanna tell you, there's such an attack on the relevancy of God's word today. Yep. The Bible is more relevant today than it's ever been. Don't think these are ancient, archaic scriptures from thousands of years ago that don't make sense today. God knew exactly what, I, what he was doing. And the Bible is very relevant today. And if we'll preach God's word and allow his power to come, lives will be transformed. I often get complimented, this is one of the greatest compliments I could ever get, is how on fire so many young adults are that are here. And that they love the passion and the fervency and the worship. I mean, the worship today was off the chart. I mean, look at all these young adults that are lifting their hands and getting excited about Jesus. And do you see how many young adults are going to Brazil? It's incredible to see what God is doing in the lives of so many people, and it didn't come from good intellectual, logical teaching. Melody, all tattooed up, lived a real perverse lifestyle before she came to Jesus. Now she's on fire. She's leading our our nursery and preschool. She loves what she's doing. She's lit up for the Lord. She went to Mexico. She wants to go to India. She wants to keep doing what she's doing. She loves these kids, and she she wasn't raised in church but it was a power encounter by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and God's love that came into her life that lit her up. And that's what we need more of is God's power encounters that transforms people's, transforms people's lives. But then you've got to commit to sowing into the secret place consistently. And so we don't have wishful thinking. We have dynamic confidence. Verse four. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you. Now, let me break this down for you. This word inheritance is present and future tense. What good is getting an inheritance when you die? Now, you've got an inheritance coming. God's got a heavenly home for us, and this scripture talks about it, this whole passage of scripture. But this one word here, inheritance, is present and future tense. God has an inheritance for you right now, not just in the by and by when Jesus comes back or or when you die. An inheritance is something that's left for you to possess and utilize right now in your life. Yes, something's coming. And our mindset has to be a heavenly hope for the future. But there's an inheritance that God has for you. Now, this inheritance is incorruptible. What that means is there's no corruption in your life. You're not a corrupt person anymore. So when you were once corrupt, sneaky, lying, cheating, stealing, all that, whatever it was, you're not that person anymore. And so what happens is God puts an incorruptible inheritance inside of you that's undefiled and does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven, but God wants heaven to also be on earth. Let's not just live in a tomorrow, maybe then, or when he comes back or when we die. God wants heaven to come onto earth now. So yes, it's then and it's now. It's present and future tense, verse five. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now I believe we're in the last time. Now I don't know how long that's gonna be. It could be generations from now. But I believe that my children are gonna see the return of Jesus. I know every generation's believe that. I'm gonna believe it too because I'm longing and hoping with expectation. 
But until that time comes, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So what God does is he keeps you by his power. Now let's talk about keeping you by his power. To be kept by God's power means it's a militant term that he sets up a military garrison to protect you against hostile invasion. Here it is in the Bible. I'm not living going, man, I hope nobody breaks into my house today. I hope I don't have an accident. I hope that my children don't die. I'm not looking around every corner with fear, but fear is captivating so many people's hearts, especially if you're hooked into the world's news system. If you're listening to CNN and Fox News and all the drama and all the trauma, and you're hearing all these horrible stories all the time, and you're not getting news feeds from heaven, you're going to get fall into false thinking. And that's that I have a laissez-faire faith. And I do not have a laissez-faire faith. I trust God. I trust in his lordship. Yes, I take it one day at a time because each day has enough trouble of its own. But I also have a vision so that I restrain myself and don't perish. I don't wanna perish. I don't wanna be rotten fruit. I wanna be fruit that's ripe for the picking every day. And so to be kept by the power of God, I would encourage you to look up the word kept in in the concordance. It is a militant word, which means God protects you preserves you, and watches over you. And the lie of the devil is, well, then why did that bad thing happen to you? Why are you struggling with the health? Why are you struggling with what happened with your child and your mom and all these other things? Why do bad things happen to good people? Let me address that. First, let me say this to you. I have been contending for healing for for asthma since I gave my life to Jesus. Now, what I didn't do was go up for prayer one time and go, it didn't work, and give up, because I'm not a quitter. In fact, I'm a fighter, and I'm fighting more today than I've ever fought before. You know how I fight? Through my worship, through my crying out. Something is being produced inside of me, and I'm believing every day, because I'm not giving up and I'm not quitting, that God is gonna heal me. I believe that I'm healed already. I believe he did it. I haven't seen the manifestation, but I believe it, so I'm contending for it. And though I may not have the answer of why some of those bad things to happen, happened to me, the Bible does give me some understanding of how I should respond when it does happen. And I firmly believe that God can keep me by his power. This word for power is not the word jurisdiction or exousia. This is the word dunamis, which is the word miraculous, miracle working power. So he's keeping me miraculously. And I can assure you, Even in some of the worst things that we've experienced in our life, if it wasn't for God keeping me by his power, I would already be dead. And it would be 10 times worse than what you've experienced. And many times the Lord has said, I've watched your back when you never knew it. Because the armor, you got all the pieces of the armor in Ephesians 6, but nothing for your back. Because God says, I'll be your rear guard. And the devil comes to lie to you and get you sidetracked on your current issues, your current problems, and why God didn't do that. And he's the same old lie straight from the garden that if God really is good, then he would have. And God didn't do this. And then you start questioning the goodness of the Lord and you begin to doubt. And I'm taking from a man that has fought like you can't, I'm more on fire, more fervent in my faith than I've ever been. And I face more hurricanes and struggles and challenges spiritually than a lot of people have. And I understand some of you today are really hurting. I know that some of you are facing some incredibly difficult situations and you're not sure if you can make it another day or you wouldn't come be here at Rock City Church. Because this is a church that brings healing and life to the hurting and the broken. And so... God keeps us by his power through faith. Everybody say through faith. Faith Faith is critical. You've got to understand faith first. Faith first. Faith is an an I know so, not an I hope so. Faith is confident belief that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. And I believe God's word. I believe that he's going to do what he said he would do. And because of confident faith, I trust that God's going to keep my children, going to keep my family, going to keep this church, the shopping center, my, my coffee shops, by his power. That's what I believe. And then what happens? God keeps us through faith, by his power, for salvation and revelation in the last time. Salvation and revelation for the last time. He saves us and he reveals his supernatural life to us in these last times, okay? So let's jump to verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. In what? 
what we just read. You greatly rejoice. You know what it means to greatly rejoice? It doesn't mean the way a lot of us live our lives. And I'll be the first to say, I need to greatly rejoice more. I have people that just don't like me because they think I'm too happy all the time. I'm too joyous. I'm too excitable. I'm too animated behind the percussion. I've worked jobs where the, the coworkers didn't like me because I was too loud or whatever it was. But, but greatly rejoicing means exceeding joy. Why should we have exceeding joy? Because of what I just read to you. Because we have living hope, because God's keeping you by his power, because faith, because he's begotten us and we're born again now. It means I have Zoe life living in me. You know what Zoe life is? It's animated, fiery, excited, fervent life. And it doesn't mean that I don't have my moments, trust me. I have my moments, I have to wrestle too. But we're all a work in progress of learning and growing with him over the course of time. And so, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. You know how long a little while is? It's a season. Really, the word here is season. So some of us are facing incredible difficulties. But if you put your hope and trust in the Lord, lay your life down, be born again, be productive again, allow, the, allow Abba, our Heavenly Father, to be your daddy, Know the living hope, trust in God's power to keep you. What happens? It's only for a season. And even though, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, if need be, because trials and tribulations produce something inside of you. Trials and tribulation, the trying of your faith works something in your life. I'm more fervent today because of the overcoming of hardships and difficulties that I've been through. And though I wouldn't wish some of them upon anybody, and though I don't have a full understanding on them, I'm not confused as to the why. I'm trusting the Lord in the midst of the process. I'm keeping it simple, like a child. And what I understand is various trials are gonna come. Now, these aren't trials that you brought on because of your sin. When I got busted for drugs in Ohio, going to a Grateful Dead concert, and I got put on trial and lied and got found guilty and sent to prison, That's not this kind of various trial. (laughs) Seriously. Various trials are odd, strange, seemingly strange things that happen in your life that every believer goes through. And so after we lost Eden Grace, I preached a message called Fiery Trials to Try You. You can look it up on podcast or SoundCloud. If any of you are going through a crisis or you know somebody that has gone through a crisis or especially anything like we've went through, I would encourage you to listen to that message because in that scripture it says, don't think it's strange the fiery trials that are there to try you as though something strange happened to you. And to think it's strange means when the trial or the enemy wants to take place, take up residence in your mind, it needs to be a visitor that passes on by. And some people go through hardship 10, 15, 20 years ago, lost a baby, lost a loved one, or some, you know, went through a difficult divorce or whatever it was, and they're still, it's still lodged in their brain and they can't get past it. Maybe it was the way you were raised. Maybe it was the way your parents were. Maybe you were involved in the occult as a child or whatever it was. This thing wants to keep residence in your mind. So the word happen means symbiotic. It means that it wants to be a parasite and lodge up in your mind. And you need to say, you know what? This resort's closed, pass on by. I'm renewing my mind in the word of God. And so I preached that message. But look, this is what I want you to see. Though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. You know what it means to be grieved? It means you've got grief. It means that you're, you're frustrated, you're struggling, you're going through hardships, and you don't understand it. But it says here, though you've been grieved, if need be, for a little while, by various trials, verse 7, what happens? the genuineness of your faith, and there's a contrast here. Gold that's refined by fire, hammering fire and lots of pressure that works the coal and the junk and the darkness out. Your faith is much more precious than gold. And what happens is the genuineness, because God wants authenticity. He doesn't want fake Christianese quoting all the scriptures, but you don't know what they mean. He doesn't want you just coming to church to go through the motions to please your conscience. 
What God wants is authenticity from you. He wants you to be real. He wants you to be, I'll take you authentic all day long versus pretentious. And so what happens is, is if you understand what that fire trial could do and you do a ninja flip on that thing, you gotta do a ninja flip on it. What happens is, is your faith becomes genuine. It gets tested by fire and you pass the test. You pass the trial because the trial reveals what's inside of you. And you come out stronger and look at the scripture. Now you be found, you're found to what? Have praise, honor, and glory at the lifting of the lid, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you guys something. I don't have any intent or desire to, be, to pretend to you that I'm something that I'm not. So many times I drag myself to church. So many times I feel like, man, I'm not feeling it. I wanna take a nap. I don't have, my flesh is taking. You know how many years I've been on worship teams and going to church? Since I gave my life to the Lord 25 years ago. I've been playing on worship teams since that day. And I, many a Wednesday night, many a time, I'm like, man, I'm just not feeling it. I don't really wanna go today. My flesh, I've, all kinds of issues and struggles and challenges have been coming against me. But do you know that every time I come and the minute I lift my hands, almost every single time, the minute I come and I lift my hands, God shows up. Almost every time. And that's why you've gotta learn what it means to praise him. You've gotta learn what it means to worship him. You've gotta learn what it means to honor him in every area of your life so that you're not just doing it on Sunday morning. I know it will seem foreign and difficult on a Sunday morning if you're not doing it personally, but I'll still want you to be here and give it your best. But you know what? Start doing it personally. Get in your car, get alone, lift your hands, crank up some Bethel worship, get some Jason Upton, get some Rita Springer, I don't care, get some Hillsong, I don't care what it is. Get some other worship, get the word inside of you, lift up your hands, and I'm telling you, when you start doing it together with the family, it's awesome. It is awesome. And so your faith becomes authentic. It becomes genuine. And then now your life becomes full of praise, honor, and glory. The restoration of his nature in your life, that's what it means to have glory. Next verse. Whom having not seen, you love. Now, I've never actually seen the physical appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, there are Muslims around the world seeing Jesus right now. There's no preachers and missionaries. Jesus is showing up on the scene. There's a ton of stories, okay? Some people have seen Jesus. Now, I've never actually seen him physically. I've seen Satan physically. I have seen him physically. And of course, I've seen a lot of demons manifest in people's lives. But I see Jesus in my spirit. I know he's here. I'm confident he's here. I sense his presence. I have a confident assurance in my heart that produces something out of me because he's living inside of me. But I've never actually seen him and I love him so much. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who believe, supremely blessed are those that believe and haven't seen because we walk by faith. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing. Everybody say believing. believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And my thing is, where's the joy inexpressible and full of glory? Come on, guys. We're sons and daughters and Christians. We're not going through the motions. Let's be fired up and live this thing with joy inexpressible and full of, of glory and rejoicing in what God's doing. In verse nine, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The end of our faith, the ultimate end goal is the salvation to come but I also believe I can have that full salvation now, which means I'm made whole and healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually now, okay? Now, I'm gonna leave this with you, and then we're gonna pray. Peter goes on to put this into incredible, incredible perspective. He says regarding the times and the seasons and how we should live, in verse 22, he says this, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit. Jesus purifies you. Remember that. You don't purify yourself. Right. Only Jesus can do it. Yes. Second of all, you need to understand that obedience is critical. And if you're not following the Holy Spirit, being, obedience is near being obedient is near impossible. 
God wants you to be spiritual. That's why the Bible says that the spiritual judges all things spiritual. You know, recently somebody in this church got really sideways. I mean, there's a real goofy situation. And the first thing that I learned to do when somebody gets sideways is look up and say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to handle it? Because in the natural, my practical common sense thinking of what's right, first, the first thing that rises up isn't always the spiritual thing. And so I looked up to the Lord and I said, Lord, how do you want me to handle it? You know what the Lord said to me? He said, you were once just like that guy. And I got an exact movie reel in my mind of a thing I did just like that guy did. And that's why the Bible says the spiritual judges all. Are we supposed to judge? Yes, if it's spiritual. You better believe it. If it's spiritual, the spiritual judge is spiritual. What that means is because I have lordship and I'm following the spirit through the spirit and I have sincere love for people because the Holy Spirit's now ruling and reigning in me. Now, instead of my own justice and what I think I should do, I now have the justice of the Lord in what he wants me to do. And you know what most, about 99.999% of the time it is? Grace, mercy. When I want to rip somebody's head off, God's like, no, I had mercy on you for that one. That's what it means to be spiritual. So he says, you purify, Jesus purified us. We allowed him to do it by obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit in what? Sincere love. Everybody say sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. You've got to have a pure heart. You've got to have a pure heart. You're, going to be able, you're never going to be able to love right. Listen, if I wasn't born again, you wouldn't like me. Well, first we wouldn't be here. But I'm telling you that prior to me getting born again, compassion was like not very existent because it was all about me. Feeding the homeless, helping the hurting, you know, being there for the broken. I was more self-centered and focused on myself. You can't make yourself be compassionate, guys. Compassion comes from the indwelling spirit of the Lord living inside of you. And what God does is he changes you from the inside out and then suddenly his nature dwells in you and when you didn't really have a love for people and you didn't really like the homeless guys that come in off the streets and you really didn't have a desire to help anyone and it was all about you, suddenly the nature of Christ that's inside of you transforms you to now want to love people fervently and sincerely from a pure heart. That can only come from the transformation of Christ in your life. Now check this out. He puts it in incredible perspective. And I'm gonna close with this. Verse 23. Here's 313. Having been fathered now, you have a daddy. He's the dad you never had. So you don't have to live orphaned anymore. Now you're made productive again. And you get inspiration to be productive when you once went through the, the motions of your religious Christianity and you didn't have inspiration, now the Holy Spirit comes on you and inspires you and makes you productive again with an incorruptible seed that's inside of you through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word forever is the word aeon. And it means that God's word, this word for word is the word logos, logos, which is the written word. God's written word stands the test of time through every age. For thousands of years, don't, fall, don't succumb to the lie that God's word's not relevant anymore because God's word is more relevant today than ever and we get born again through an through a, through a incorruptible seed through God's word. Why? Because the written word reveals to you what God did, who he is, and what he wants to say and then it's through the written word that you get the spoken word. If you want the rhema spoken word, get back into your Bible. Let's break the cycle that only 17% of Christians read their Bible. And then I got to wonder to myself, if only 17% of Christians are reading their Bible, what percentage is really even understanding what they read? Right. Or hearing God's voice through it. So what I'm challenging all of you to do is to break that cycle. And I'm going to pray for you today to be so fiery hot. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3.11, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And I'm saying, where's the fire? Because you can't hype up the fire. When I say, come on, let's get fired up. That's not a hyped up statement. I'm not trying to motivate a sales team. No. 
This is real authentic fire that comes in understanding these types of scriptures. God keeps me by his power. Even my, my various trial that I'm facing right now, if I respond right, my faith will become more genuine and now I'll have more praise, more glory, more honor coming out of my life. Instead of victim mentality, ho-hum, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care, he's out to get me and he didn't really protect me. And then I start doubting and being afraid and I start thinking, man, if that happened, who knows what could happen next? And I'm gonna stand on God's word that says he's gonna keep me by his power and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna believe and I'm not gonna live a laissez-faire lifestyle and neither should you. The word of God abides forever. Now, here's the contrast. The next verse, the next few verses says, all men are like grass of the field. which flourishes in its time and withers away and, it, and its flower falls away, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And that word is good news for your life. Because even though on earth our time is limited, we're gonna live for eternity. And God has reserved something in heaven for us but he's given an inheritance now. I don't want you to just live for that day, though that day we've got to live for. There's a day now that God wants us to live for. And you need to know and understand that time is short. Everybody say time is short. So because time is short, guess what? Man, I'm kissing my kids like you can't even believe. Not out of fear that what if something happens, because I know in an instant they're gonna be grown off to college, married, and one day they're not gonna want all the kisses all over their cheeks. I'm squeezing their little butt cheeks when they're getting out of the pool because it's just so cute. I'm, I'm soaking up every minute of life. You cannot take this life for granted because go back a verse. This is the person, I don't wanna just preach this at your funeral. Okay, I don't wanna actually have to do any of your funerals until you're in your 90s, which I might not be here then. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, is you've gotta understand God's word brings salvation and endurance for eternity. And now we, we're gonna live for eternity, but we got eternity right now. And all men, everybody say all men are like the grass of the field and they flourish for a time. And you know what? I'm flourishing right now and so are you. If you got breath, you're flourishing. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that because you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, it's too late. If you got a breath inside of you, it is not too late. And you've been through enough and lived enough life to give something out. I got more young adults coming to this church and a thousand more coming. Let's go guys, it's showtime. Wait, it's go time. It's go time. Let's all stand.